This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, dear listeners, welcome to episode number one of the Tupperware Party. I'm your host, Andrew Johnson, and I'm here with regular co-host, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, Charlie? Doing well. How about yourself? Doing all right. Have you eaten any good leftovers lately? Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't. Yeah, my sister disappeared, so I'm currently looking for her. Unfortunately, I've not had much of an appetite since then. Oh, no. That's terrible. Yeah. Uh, If anyone's seen her, uh, please feel free to contact me. (laughs) Well, I have some leftover veal and some dog in my fridge that you might want to eat when you get a chance. Oh, um, I haven't really acquired a taste for dog yet, but I appreciate the offer. (laughs) Are you sure I shot it myself? Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is the Tupperware Party. This is Film Geek Radio weekly podcast devoted exclusively to discussion and analysis of the HBO TV series The Leftovers. And uh, how it works is each week we just talk about uh, the episode of the show that aired and we just say what we liked, what we disliked, and we we talk about where the show's going, what the show seems to be trying to say. This week we're going to be discussing episode one of season one of The Leftovers. The episode is titled Pilot, and it was co-written by Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada. And Tom Parada actually is the author of the book that the show is based on. So I guess that's good that they're getting him involved in actually writing some of the episodes. Definitely. Yeah. And he's also, uh, just a reminder, he also wrote the, no- uh, the novelizations of Little Children and Election, if I'm correct, right? Yes. Yes, he did. Uh, and as always, please write in, let us know what you thought of the pilot, and we'd, we'd, we'd love to get some of that feedback and read some of it on the air next week. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, to write in, just email us at leftovers at filmgeekradio.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. All right, before we really dive into things, Charlie, why don't you go ahead and remind our listeners what happened in the pilot episode of The Leftovers? What's the, uh, the official synopsis? This is the official synopsis from HBO.com. Three years after millions of people, some 2% of the world's population, vanished into thin air, residents of Mapleton, New York, weigh the pros and cons of a Heroes Day tribute to the local departed. Attempting to maintain a sense of normalcy in a strained community, Police Chief Kevin Garvey faces additional challenges at home. I would say that's an accurate assessment. I'd say that's pretty accurate, too. It kind of, it, it's introducing us into this world where millions of people have disappeared without really going anywhere in terms of the plot, but it is an efficient, um, very gripping way to uh, get us introduced to these characters. Even they don't understand exactly what happened, which makes the mystery all the more gripping for us as viewers, actually, is that we're following in the character's footsteps, as opposed to, you know, being manipulated and being forced to put the pieces together uh, from a fractured standpoint where the characters know more than we do. So... All right, well, before we really dive into the episode, here's a clip. Germany, 1.71 million. Egypt, 1.73 million. 
Vietnam, 1.25 one fails to grasp, Ethiopia, 1.9 is not a staggering number. That's only one out of every 50 humans on the planet. Statistically speaking, on the average football pitch, none of the players will be departures. Odds of losing someone in your immediate family are slim at best. Now, if you look at, let's say, casualties from mass pandemics, smallpox for one decimated 95% of the native population. China, 27.18 million. All right, we'll start things off. Let's just go ahead and give some general spoiler-free thoughts. We will be talking spoilers later on in the episode. So if you haven't seen uh, the pilot episode of The Leftovers, uh, we'll go ahead and tell you generally, overall, what we thought, but then we're going to start getting into, in, into greater detail. So, Charlie, what did you think of this first premiere episode? Is this a show that you think you're going to enjoy following and podcasting about for an entire season. I certainly think so. It's a very bizarre episode of television. It's unlike anything else on TV right now. Um, it's very grim and very bleak, but there's a lot of interesting themes going on here. Some parallels to um, how uh, victims are remembered in real life because um, uh, that are interesting. There are a lot of characters to keep track of, but also, but that also makes it gripping because it's gonna take. It seems to take on a p- bunch of different viewpoints from a bunch of people who were affected by this. Uh, mysterious tragedy um i really enjoyed it it doesn't answer a lot of questions it basically just introduces a bunch of questions but i feel like that's for television that's a really gripping way to suck a viewer in and i know it's damon lindelof who has not exactly answered all of the mysteries that he set up in the past and previous uh works of his so i am a little nervous about that but not nervous enough to not I'm just too intrigued right now to just, you know, stop watching and podcasting on it. And I think that um, the writing, the acting and the uh, setup is really strong. I agree with you. I think I think the show has a lot of potential. You know, I- I'm not going to sit here and say it's a great show because we've only seen one episode. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's a lot of potential, though, and a lot of different things they could do. I have some concerns and we can talk about those uh, in a little bit. But I will say overall, I, I thought the pilot did a good job of just throwing you into the middle of things, letting you know, hey, this is what the situation is, this is what's going on, these are the characters, this is how the different characters are related to each other, and just giving you a basic idea of, okay, who the people are that we're going to follow, and what the overall plot lines are probably going to entail. And they were pretty, pretty interesting overall, and uh, I will say... Our lead actor, Justin Thoreau, this is a guy that I know he's done some dramatic work. He's been on a few TV shows. I know he's been in some David Lynch movies. I mainly associate him with comedies. I associate him with Wanderlust and Your Highness, which both of them, yeah, they're okay movies. Your Highness was pretty awful. In Your Highness, he played an evil sorcerer with a crazy wig. And here, when he's just himself... He's unrecognizable to me because I associate him as these really over-the-top crazy characters. And I was sitting there last night. I was watching The Leftovers, and I was thinking, all right, Justin Throw, you, you're a reasonably attractive man. I see why uh, Jennifer Aniston is dating you uh-huh. now. Okay. I actually forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you seem like a, like a good leading man. You have good screen presence. 
why haven't I seen this guy in more stuff? He seems like he has the movie star look to him. And I know he's been writing. He's done Tropic mm-hmm. Thunder. He wrote Iron Man 2. He's written a bun- bunch of different scripts. So maybe he just doesn't really want to be a leading man or a big, a big movie star. I don't know. But, I, but I, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on Justin Theroux as a, as a leading man in a dramatic role? Well, I think he's very compelling in this show. He's playing a character that we've seen a million times before. But he has a good screen presence, and I actually didn't even recognize him at first. I kind of forgot that that was Justin Thoreau, because as opposed to you, who associates him with comedies, I am more familiar with his stuff in David Lynch, because that's how I got introduced to him. And yet, at the same time, his roles in David Lynch are kind of darkly comedic. He played um, the director in Mulholland Drive, who uh, basically goes crazy and goes bankrupt. And then he's also in... Um, Inland Empire, briefly. I think he's good. I like him in this show, uh, or at least in the pilot so far. He's not the character I'm most compelled by so far because we've seen this wounded police chief before. I mean, in some ways, he's very. Rel- uh, he seems kind of similar to uh, Rick in Walking Dead, but. Or would you say that? Or not so much? I don't know. No, no, no. I do think this show has a lot in common with The Walking Dead, and we yeah. can talk about that. Later and and uh, I will say I I do like th- I think he does a good job with this this character type as you said of the wounded law enforcement official like but who who is still trying to do his job and do it well after this traumatic event we can tell he's a smart guy mm-hmm. he knows the cult is going to show up mm-hmm. on Heroes Day and he's right we know that he's intelligent we know that he's competent we know that he cares about the community we know that he cares about his family he's trying to get in touch with his son he cares about the well-being of his daughter he cares about animals <laughs> as we discover in, in, in the first scene where we where we meet him but at the same time I think Justin Thoreau does a good job of indicating that there's there's some stuff that this guy has to deal with some stuff going on underneath that like everybody else he's hurt he's been traumatized by what happened he finds that just that that right balance between being someone who's broken Mm-hmm. but who has put themselves back together enough to keep going. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And um, yeah, I mean, and we can understand why he's so wounded too. I mean, he's lost his wife, which we will get into uh, later in spoilers, but, you know, his teenage daughter's acting out. We don't really know, but he seems he seems estranged from his son. We don't really know what's going on there, but we can imagine that's not good. And yeah, I find him to be a really interesting pr- protagonist. Um you know, he, he is kind of that very macho uh, protagonist that we see in a lot of other shows, but Justin Theroux, is, he gave a really good performance here, so yeah. Well, what do you think of the other characters? Are there any that you're more intrigued by than others, or any you felt like were lacking? Um, the characters that I'm most intrigued by, maybe because that it's just so bizarre and out there, which is what I'm actually liking about the show, is how ambitious it is and how it's not afraid to get weird. I'm really intrigued by Ann Dowd and her cult. I'm very intrigued by Liv Tyler, mainly because they don't give too much information as to what's going on with their characters, and it's definitely the strangest, eeriest uh, element of this show. I'm also, it maybe it's just a personal bias because I find, you know, analyzations of cult life to be very fascinating because I think it'll be interesting to see if Liv Tyler is someone who's broken enough to find uh, solace and acceptance in this very bizarre... Uh, we don't even know if they're peaceful. I mean, they put, they did a protest 
that was nonviolent, but at the same time, it seems kind of like they have ulterior motives that might be kind of uh, for bad reasons. I'm not sure. Uh, I just it. I guess that's why is because there's so much going on there that they tease at that I feel like that's why I find them to be more the most compelling is because we spent almost the least amount of time with them. Yeah, I got to tell you, I, I of all the characters, I, I agree with you. I am intrigued by Ann Dowd's character partially because I, I do want to know more about this cult and also partially just because I love Ann Dowd. She's, yes. she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I got to tell you, I'm really intrigued by Wayne Gilchrist, played by Peterson Joseph, who is apparently some other mystical-type figure. We're not quite sure where in the country he is. He's, he's sort of out in the middle of nowhere. But he's apparently got a lot of power. He's got influence. He has girls that are only his and that no one else is allowed to talk to. And apparently he can help you with your burdens and unburden you. And I I find all I find that interesting. Like like you, Charlie, I'm fascinated by, by that idea of these figures and these people that draw their power and get influence from the idea that they can help others and they can be a source of inspiration or, or they've found some sort of key to life that others need to know. Whether it's uh, his character Wayne, whether it's Ann Dowd's character, uh, whether it's uh, the preacher played by Christopher Eccleston who we saw very, very briefly in the pilot episode. I was intrigued, honestly, by him because he's a guy who... Instead of saying, yes, this is uh, the wrath of God, he's here to judge us, he's going around saying, no, this wasn't the rapture, Mm -hmm. because some pretty awful people have disappeared, so it's not like all the best people, all the good Christians got taken up, and it seems like he has some sort of history with our lead character, Chief Garvey. I don't know. They kind of have have a, a rapport there. Like, the chief is able to just kind of call him over, talk to him, and he's like, you know, hey, chief, you're one of the good ones, or whatever he says. I can't, I can't quite remember yeah. his, his exact phrasing. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm curious to learn more about that character and that relationship. Mm-hmm. I did like those characters a lot. I also want to know if the cults or Wayne and Andowd, um, whether they do believe that they've found some sort of spiritual acceptance to cope with this or if they're manipulating others for their own purposes and trying to obtain power in some way whether they're actually they actually believe in this stuff or it's some sort of form of manipulation in order to get a hold on society and vulnerable members of society and maybe and it, they're able to draw followers and just become anarchists in some weird way um and I am also very intrigued by the mayor. We didn't get to see a whole lot of her, but the political subtext going on here was very interesting. The fact that it was a hero's day and the fact that some people were like, well, my brother was taken and he was a total douchebag. And uh, that sort of stuff I find to be interesting. I like how we talked about this a little bit, how they kind of, um, it felt a bit like uh, the hero's memorial was also, they didn't they do something similar to that when 9-11 happened? Well, right. Yeah. When, whenever you get a show or a movie that is dealing with a, with a big traumatic event like this where a bunch of people die or a bunch of people vanish or something traumatic happens to a society, it's hard not to think back to 9-11 or other historical atrocities and, and horrible events that have happened. And yeah, I do think that, that they are kind of drawing a little bit on that because, you know, I, I remember after 9-11, they had a bunch of, as you said, heroes memorials. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of how we cope with events like that, sure, you can argue a lot of it is just PR, to a certain extent. And how do our leaders 
try to lead us through it. And a lot of it is by just having memorials, by, by putting a, a, a face on it and saying, you know what, these are the people that lived through it, they survived, we're going to remember what happened, and now we can, we can move on with our lives and we can push forward. All of that is very intriguing and very powerful. Uh, and yeah, it, I feel like you're right. It's hard not to think that the show is trying to make some sort of parallel to real-life tragedies. And I hope it is. I hope it's not... Just because it's getting us to, and, and even if it's not, it's interesting to think about it from a political standpoint. In just in the universe of this show, um, to think that it's not like when something like this happens, you just say, "Oh, the disappeared." If you you know, because that feels like you're you can't honor them that they're just gone. So like, what interests me about the mayor is that she seems to feel like you know she's labeling them as heroes because she needs to, as opposed to. You know, I, I want to know what her genuine thoughts are on this rapture, because it seems like from a political standpoint, she's obligated to say and do certain things that she finds to be appropriate for her job. And that's what uh, intrigues me about her character. All right. Well, actually, I think that's a good segue into spoiler territory. I, I want to ask you how you feel about the overall tone of the series, because it is pretty dark. It is pretty bleak. There were times I thought it was going a little too far and it crossed the line and just got kind of schmaltzy and manipulative. In particular, I thought the constant piano score <laughs> that just aggravated me so much like there's a scene when uh when uh chief garvey he goes to uh just to a council meeting and he's arguing with uh the mayor about what they should do and whether or not these cult members are going to show up and suddenly the piano music just comes in and i'm like really you're gonna you're gonna bring up the music now it, for, for this scene <laughs> it's funny because i did not notice that but you, usually stuff like that drives me crazy yeah, I agree with you. It might go a little, it might get a little heavy-handed and it might get a little too bleak for its own good at times, but there are other musical choices that I thought were interesting. I thought the James Blake song that they used during a montage was really well done. Of course, they started the show with a baby disappearing, which, uh, you know, that's pretty bleak, but, you know, very believable, especially because it seems like at first a baby could have been abducted from the car and then uh, it turns out that everyone around that woman and her car is dis and her baby is disappearing too. It's such a bleak show that it will be hard to binge watch because it's so depressing. It, it, you know, it's depressing and yet it's very thrilling. But if we were watching, I, I don't know how the show is going to play out when it's on Blu-ray and DVD or just, you know, all of it's on HBO Go and people want to binge watch it because that might make me see the show differently as opposed to watching it on a week-to-week -week basis. Well, here's, here's the thing, Charlie. It, because it is such a bleak subject matter already, just, okay, a bunch of people have vanished and the rest of the world is just trying to cope with this loss and, and grief. That by its nature is bleak. I feel like you don't need to push it home. Yeah. Like, it's it's there. You don't need the extra music cues. There's a scene uh, with the daughter when she's at a party and she's in, the in, in, in a room lying on the bed. 
and then the scene ends and it's just her lying on the bed looking up at the ceiling looking aimless and then like the tear starts yeah. to fall from her eye and I'm just like okay really that was actually the most problematic scene for me too but yeah yeah it's like it's like okay we get it okay we've seen this before we get it you're lost you're confused uh, there's stuff going on in your life. We, we we understand that you don't need to hammer it home by just having that cliche image of the girl lying in bed crying yeah. silently. Well, they also the the partying scene. Like I'm all for. I love movies about you know teenage despair and nihilism and narcissism. But that's all. There's also one of the most sickeningly uh, nihilistic party scenes I've ever seen, where they're playing like spin the bottle on an app and. Instead of there being mild stuff like kiss and hug, it's basically fuck and burn and all this stuff. And it was so relentlessly bleak and it was so oppressive towards teenagers in modern day society that it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Because I know that if I was at a party where that (laughs) app came out, me and at least I I would hope that like three fourths of my friends would be like, yeah, we're out of here. This isn't happening. (laughs) But (laughs) well, well, okay, that's because you haven't lost people in your life haven't just randomly vanished. Charlie, once no, that happens, but I have plenty of friends who've lost loved ones, and well, sure, and they don't, you know, and yeah, especially with the there's you know images of people like oh burn yourself, like I you know I know tons of teens who've you know harmed themselves out of grief, but never like in a party setting and being like oh yeah this is gnarly like that in particular it was just so it was so despairing and so almost mean-spirited that I just I, I couldn't get on board with that. I want to talk about some specific scenes and some specific ideas uh, in that are set up in the pilot. First off, Charlie, I don't want to be, I don't mean to be too negative here because overall I did like the pilot, but I want to, I want to tell you my one biggest concern I have with the show, and that is that I'm not quite sure what the show is yet. I'm not quite sure what is the goal. What is what is the end point here? Mm-hmm. You know, you look back at something like Lost. Okay, you know from the pilot episode, this is a, this is a, a show about people on an island, and the two main questions driving the show are going to be what the hell is going on on the island, and two, how do we get off the island? You know, in Battlestar Galactica, they set it up in the pilot. The goal for all the characters is we got to find Earth. That's the goal. That's the thing that's driving at least the plot mm-hmm. forward. Does The Leftovers have a plot, or is this just going to be a character show? Which could be fine, mm-hmm. but if there is a plot, what is if you had to sum up what the show is about in a sentence, what would it be? Is it, is it just, we're going to explore characters and how they cope with grief after this disaster? And if, if that's what it is, is that enough to base a whole show around? Or at least I'm, I'm thinking in terms of multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, I can totally see that pushing the show and being enough for a single season. Is that enough for multiple seasons? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a good point, And that's the main concern that I have, too, is that I like the leisurely pace that of this pilot so far. But you're right. How long and how long is it going to be OK for us to be in the dark about this everything going on before we get too irritated and before we really do want some uh, answers or questions answered. Um, At the same time, you're right about that show. I mean, you know, also True Detective, they got to solve the case and um, Homeland, she has to stop the terrorists. But there are some character-driven shows. I know this is a much different show in terms of its structure, but some of my favorite shows are about characters and grief. Uh, HBO's In Treatment in particular is a show that's very character-driven, not so much plot-driven. That's a very different show from this show, which is an ensemble drama. But Okay, but but like even in, in Treatment, there's that whole idea 
driving the show of okay, eventually there will be a breakthrough. Yeah. There will like the, these people will come to therapy, and they will reach important realizations and also the therapist himself who we've been following stuff is be happening in his life and he'll reach some sort of breakthrough Mm -hmm. and so so there's there's that but but is that what it is for the leftovers is it basically we're gonna follow these characters until they learn how to cope with what happened yeah no that's a good point it doesn't seem to if there is a sense of direction it's going in it doesn't doesn't really make that clear for us as viewers and we're left in the dark which again interesting for now I don't know how I'm going to feel about that four episodes in if it just does this over and over and over again. I guess it depends on the quality of the writing, how well the characters are developed, how intriguing they are to us, if they seem to be making any progress, or if they're just going to be in this stunted form of grief for a whole season. I agree with you. It could be pretty despairing, and almost it might seem even pointless, but... It is refreshing to have a t- television show where you have no idea where it's going. I mean, even shows that are unpredictable, like True Detective, I didn't know where it was going at times. You know you know that by the end of it, they will catch somebody. Here, it is interesting to see, to watch it unfold. At least it was for the pilot. Again, it's, it's hard to tell because this is such a bizarre, idiosyncratic show. It really isn't anything, uh, it didn't feel like anything else on television, and yet it sets up all the tropes very well with, you know, all the characters and their backstories. Well, there is one idea in the pilot that I'm wondering if maybe it will turn out to be the driving idea behind the show, which is uh, there's a moment when the daughter, Jill, is burying the dog with her friends. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how there's an urban legend about a bunch of wild dogs that just kind of went crazy after this event. They live off in the woods, and then those that pack of wild dogs shows up at the end and attacks a deer. And ba- basically, this guy says, okay, the dogs that actually saw people vanish, that witnessed it happen, they kind of, they just snapped. They went crazy because they thought they, they saw something that just didn't register with their brains as being possible. Mm-hmm. And so now all bets are off. And he basically says that that's going to happen to mankind, it's just taking us longer. So I'm wondering if that's what the show is going to be kind of about. Like, once an event like this has happened that nobody can explain, religion can't explain it, science can't explain it, when you, when you encounter something that truly is unexplainable, how does society cope with that? Do you keep living your lives and you keep your same structure and your same routines and your same institutions and pretend that nothing happened? Or... Do you tear it all down and does it all come falling down or do you have to tear it all down and build up something new to replace that to cope? That is interesting because, yeah, when it comes down to it, all these characters are very different, but they're all coping with the same thing, which is something completely unexplainable. And I guess it's interesting for us to ask that as viewers watching these characters is how would we cope with something that we don't understand either? Even certain tragedies like... Uh, losing a family member to illness or an accident, there's always some sort of explanation. And you may feel like there's you don't have any answers, but the answers are in front of you and you learn, need to learn how to deal with it. This show, it is interesting that nobody has any idea what's going on, and you know, obviously neither do we. So that is something that is, uh, it could draw a lot of parallels to personal tragedies and viewers' lives, but also like as a science fiction premise, it is very intriguing. At the same time, there's a complete, 
it almost seems as if there's no antagonistic force or no personal demons that are recognizable at first that the characters are facing against because we just don't know what it is. Um, it's interesting to me because there is no real villain. I mean, yeah, there might be some developed, but there aren't any even like there don't even seem to be very many personal demons that we know of yet. I, I would disagree with that a, a tiny bit. Okay. Yeah, okay, so okay. They, they, they've definitely set up this Wayne Giltris, Giltris guy mm-hmm. as some sort of strange, mysterious figure who could have some more nefarious motives. There is this cult that they, have, they start to set up as this strange, intimidating force, but as I watched this pilot, I actually found myself siding more and more with the cult. Because really, yes... They don't talk, and that's kind of weird. Yes, they they smoke as a sign of their faith, which I think is kind of really kind of silly. But other than that, they're behaving exactly like many many real life anarchist groups and and and, and groups that choose to perform acts of civil disobedience. Yeah, but they you know, also stalk people, which is pretty menacing. <laughs> sure, they stalk people that we don't know why they've targeted certain people yet. I, I assume we'll find that out later. But yeah, they they do stalk certain people, but they they aren't violent. They don't fight back when they're pushed. Like, they, they really just, they're trying to show up, make their point, and that's it. This isn't like the Westboro Baptist Church who shows up at public oh events and just <laughs> yells and rants and tries to rile people up. There's a, there's a point in the show when Chief Garvey says, you know, these guys are going to show up on Heroes Day because they want to, they want to be provocative. They want to, pro- they want to start a fight. They want to provoke a fight. Everybody's ready to feel better. Not the remnant. At last, the chief speaks. I would have said something sooner, but I was so riveted. So we're going to do this again? The whole town, the same place at the same time. On the anniversary. You're, you're inviting them to show up. The GR isn't a threat. If they want to stage a nonviolent protest, that's their right. You were at the homecoming. They walked right onto the field. And then they walked right off. No harm done. They are trying to provoke us. Then don't get provoked. I actually have not gotten that feeling from the group yet. Like, yes, they're trying to be noticed, but I feel like they don't want to cause violence if there is another way. Yeah, although, do you feel like the violence that they invoked out of others to commit towards them on protest day was something that they wanted? I I mean, I guess we just don't know that much about them because to understand that, I mean, they did hold up the signs that say, save your breath, and we don't know what their motives are, and we don't. But at the same time, do you think that they, I don't know, they're trying to make these other people who are not part, part of their cult out to be, I don't know, I don't want to say bad guys because that's so generalized. But. No, I, I feel like they're just, at least if, if, if they actually believe what they say, stop wasting your breath, mm-hmm. then we can posit from that that they at least feel like, okay, what happened happened. We can't explain it. Stop trying to act like we can move on from this. Stop trying to act like everything can be the same or that it's possible to cope. Stop with all of these heroes, memorials, and again, these things that we do to make ourselves feel better, they're saying, no, just stop all that. Let's cut through the BS or what they perceive to be BS. The stalking is 
I want to know why they're stalking Liv Tyler. And I also want to know why Liv Tyler decided to show up after she smacks uh, one of them across the face and basically has this huge outburst. It was like, why are you following me everywhere? And then she decides to take comfort in their uh, place of refuge. I want to know what's going on there. That's not a criticism for me saying that I wasn't given enough information. I just want to know what's going on both with the cult and their interest in her and why she decided to take comfort with them after. Because, you know, that's not violent protest. That's not anything violent. But that's kind of, uh, you know, stalking someone and following them everywhere is pretty evasive. I mean, that's pretty invasive on its own. Well, it worked at getting her to show up. It worked, but for her, I mean, we don't know if that was someone doing that to me. I mean, I guess I would just call the cops. But, you know, I guess the cops can't maybe not do anything i mean well right rv can't do anything mainly because as we find out spoiler alert that his wife is now a member and originally we thought that she was one of the people who were quote unquote taken but now she's decided to take shelter with ann dowd's cult that's also very intriguing to me i want to learn as to why she decided to go there do we know if jill uh chief garvey's daughter and um laurie's daughter knows that she is a member of this cult or does she think that I mean, I assume that she probably knows because she's like 17 and in high school probably can figure out that her mom's a member of this cult and not one of the Taken members. But yeah, I want to know what happened, what what broke that family apart. Because was there a member of their family that actually was Taken or was it? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so that's interesting to me that that's a family that most of these main ensemble characters stem from. And yet they seem to be broken about it, despite the fact that they didn't suffer any personal tragedy from this strange occurrence themselves. That I find to be really intriguing. I want to get back to that in a sec. The last I I will say this regarding the Liv Tyler character. Yeah, they didn't really tell us a whole lot about her, but they gave us just enough. And I think Liv Tyler's performance in the few scenes she had in the pilot, I think she did a really great job of just communicating that this character, this woman is just lost, confused scared she doesn't really seem to care that she's getting married again she feels like it's all bs you know she, the, her fiance saying no the wedding is the vows she's saying no the wedding is just whatever the cake we pick out or whatever she says mm-hmm, it's, yeah. it's the decorations it's all pointless and so i i i can buy that she would see this cult and kind of come away feeling like well yeah they're right they understand that this is all appearances, this is all BS, mm-hmm. that we should just stop wasting our breath. I'm lost, I'm confused. They might be crazy, but they at least have something that, they, that they're grabbing onto. Mm-hmm. You know, I can buy that she would go to them just to be like, what is it? Mm-hmm. Why, you, you guys are stalking me, and yeah, it's kind of scary and creepy, but you're stalking me for a reason. I don't have a reason. Yeah. I need a goal. I need something to, to, to have and to hold on to. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And you're right. They did develop her just enough. She seems very depressed. Um, you know, I'm sure that maybe she's going to therapy. I don't know. But they give us just enough information to uh, for us to comprehend why she would seek safety and comfort and some form of resolution to her pain and emptiness in this place uh, because, you know, it seems like she's been trying to move on for so long and she's still broken and nothing's making any sense. And it is pretty powerful. And I agree with you. Liv Tyler gives a really good performance, uh, especially during her outburst, because I mainly associate Liv Tyler with kind of soft-spoken, very nice, charming character. She mainly plays that type of character. And to see her have this big emotional outburst, let alone in the pilot, was pretty shocking because she's not known for, 
hostility in when it comes to movies even you know when it comes to her, her when she's forced to be violent in some movies like the strangers or lord of the rings so yeah i mean i, I associate her with arwen yeah. the glowing uh eternally young elf queen or elf princess and this is this is not like that at all so yeah i think Liv tyler did a did a really great job getting back to what you were saying about our main character chief garvey and what we find out about his family that to me is interesting the fact that the show is based around this event that happened but that event happens in the opening scene it's like what a two-minute scene yeah and that's all we see mm-hmm. so the focus of the show mainly seems to be on the people that are left how they cope and the fact that for many people now in real life it it might as well be like our loved ones have disappeared Mm -hmm. because we've rejected them or there's family trauma or for whatever reason they aren't in our lives so we see with chief garvey yeah he's still he has dinner every night with his daughter that's nice but his wife has gone to join this cult his son, he keeps trying to get him on the phone, but he can't. His son's off. We don't know quite where. Yeah. Uh, dealing stuff, doing stuff with Wayne, and so clearly that he he is estranged from his family to a certain extent. He's trying to get them back, but they might as well have vanished mm-hmm. to a certain extent. And I I do like that the show is trying to say that it doesn't matter if you lost somebody in this big event, this big disappearance. Even if you didn't lose somebody, it still could be like you did. Yeah. I guess anyone can relate to that. I mean, it's like how we felt once again after 9-11. I feel like if, you know, obviously victims of that tragedy who lost loved ones are more affected by it than others. But we still felt as a country very affected by it. I, you know, I live in Boston. Um, I was in Boston during the Boston Marathon bombing. And I remember feeling just utterly devastated, despite the fact that I who didn't lose anybody or didn't know anyone who suffered uh, physical injuries. As a city, as a community, we felt horribly broken and it was devastating and I guess another question that I want to ask you Andrew is do you think that because we want answers out of the show we want answers but are you worried this is the type of show where it's going to fall apart if we eventually get answers like what if we get to a point where they like oh well they were abducted by aliens or Satan's real and he's abducting people into hell or something like that's what I'm worried about is like could the show fall apart with an explanation as to this tragedy and then could it hurt character development that's come before that and make it into something a little more silly and outlandish I honestly, I really hope that they don't explain why everyone disappeared. I really hope that they don't ever have the people reappear, because we've seen that in certain shows before where people disappear and then they randomly come back to life or they, they show up again and everyone's like, oh, what happened? And, and it becomes this whole, this, this plot thing. Mm-hmm. We've seen that plot before. I, I like the fact that the show seems like it's going to be focusing more on characters. I hope it stays that way. It's called The Leftovers, so let's focus on The Leftovers. Let's not focus on the people that left or why they left and what happened. Let's focus on what's going on with the people left behind. So, yeah, I do think that if they start to get too plot-heavy and get into into big questions about what happened and why, I do think the show will go off the the, the rails. 
one because it doesn't seem like that's the show this is setting out to be mm-hmm. two because Damon Lindelof in the past he doesn't know how to bring those mysteries into the plot yeah. in an effective way one thing I will say about this that is different the only Damon Lindelof uh, the only piece of work I'm familiar with from David Lindelof is Prometheus and one thing I will say is that Prometheus started off as if it was like we're going to set out and try and supply answers to the questions that these characters are answering and then it was basically oh shit monsters happened and uh gore and uh wait till the next installment we'll we'll really tell you next time here it is setting up a mystery where it doesn't as you're right it doesn't seem like that's his intent is like pretty soon we'll tell you what it's gonna happen what what happened here i feel like you're right it could be a big step forward for damon lindelof as a writer to set something up not deliver any answers i'm not sure how viewers and audiences will respond to that because that is a pretty risky move to just hammer on ambiguity and not really you know come back uh because i don't know is that what the appeal to other uh, of the show is to other people are they looking for answers like Well, well okay well here's the thing why and why i think the leftovers could work as a show like i said earlier there's not much of a plot so to speak there's not a real narrative thing driving driving the show forward at least based on the pilot the only ambiguity the only real mystery is what happened once you set that aside the only other mysteries are character stuff who are these people what do they want mm-hmm. what's going on and 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 that's what the show can to continue to develop mm-hmm. over the course of however many seasons it, it it's on the air so that I feel like is a positive thing because there aren't a lot of plot-driven mysteries that need to be answered. The only plot-driven mystery is what happened, and I don't think that needs to be answered mm-hmm. for a show like this. So that's good. Uh, I will say that the the one plot thing in the pilot I did have a little bit of an issue with because, again, it is kind of ambiguous, is the whole thing with the deer and his house where he keeps having visions of this deer and he has these weird dreams. Then he wakes up one morning and his house has been vandalized mm-hmm. and they never really find out what happened and why and what's going on there. I'm kind of confused. I'm, I'm kind of thinking, okay, so is this like symbolic of something? Is this a character thing? Is this an actual plot thing that's going to be important? Is it just meant to be a metaphor? What's what's going on yeah. here? And it also reminded me, I just started watching season one of Hannibal, and Will Graham also has visions of a deer. So it's this weird trait that's coming back. Apparently the deer is this big visual allegory for shows now, and... Um, well, we had it in True Detective as well. Yeah, we did in True Detective as well. What What's going on with deer here? And yeah, the dogs that are savage and eating the deer, and that's the thing that makes the show so interesting, is we have no idea where it's going what it's setting out to do we don't know what its goals are so it's funny to talk about this show because i feel like i'm only gonna end up asking it's a show that's gonna end up resulting in more and more questions which is really good because it gets you know it stimulates the mind as opposed to just is a visceral thrill ride which is a, a lot like so many other tv shows right now so i like the fact that it is asking big questions again how many new questions are going to be layered on top of this one will it get tedious if it you know, if they drag him out for too long, or will it become worse as if, the, if when they decide to answer them overall? It's unlike anything else I've seen on television this year for that reason, because just thinking about it is confusing <laughs> in its own right. Uh, it does remind me a lot of the French show The Returned, which aired on Sundance last year. Great show, but it's about what happens when people that had previously died suddenly come back to life one day, as if nothing ever happened. 
and there's not much of a plot. It's really just the town coping with it and trying to figure out what is happening. What what do we do now that these loved ones are back in our lives? Mm-hmm. Do we need an answer? Do we need to know? Does it even matter why it's happened or just the fact that it happened? Uh, and I think that the leftovers is could be an inverse of that, which which could be good. And you started to see little glimpses of flashbacks mm-hmm. for certain characters, so I assume they'll they might go into that more. Uh, we did discover that when the event happened and when everyone disappeared, Chief Garvey was having sex yep. with somebody. I am I'm theorizing right now. He was cheating on his wife. Yep. That's why the, the family is so fractured and, and, and all of that. Yeah. And do we know the person he was having sex with? We don't know. Okay. So maybe that person disappeared. Also, it's interesting for... Oh, how crazy would that be? That would be nuts. Maybe that's why the wife left. I don't know. It's also interesting because we live in an age where we can get information at the touch of our fingertips. You know, we can look up... If we ever have a question on anything logical, we can go to our phones. We can go to Google. We have so many ways of researching answers for stuff. I feel like... Like there, you know, almost everything has a logical answer to it at this point. So it's interesting that in a cultural sense where knowledge is key and we can get information from anywhere and we have so many viable sources, the fact that these characters and there's even, you know, maybe they were doing that, uh, hinting at that a little bit with the uh, iPhone, even though that was used for the stupid app that the kids play at the party. But I don't know. Do you find that to be interesting that this is something that in an age where we can find out so much and, you know, Educate, we can educate ourselves and find reasons for everything in this day and age. And science is advancing. You know, we're making all sorts of discoveries that will change, you know, the course of history. Or do you think they're trying to touch up on anything in that regard? Or am I just digging in a little too deep here and looking for things that aren't there? Well, I think that that's important just because the whole premise of the show is that this is an event that cannot be explained. Mm-hmm. You can't Google it to find out what happened. You know, you can't just go to Wikipedia and say 2% the world disappearance yeah. beyond getting a histor- be probably a historical article that says, on Heroes Day, October 14th, yeah. <laughs> 2% of the world's population uh, disappeared, and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and they have the constant news clips of all these committees and all these commentators basically saying, okay, religion hasn't had, doesn't have an answer. All, none of the religions can agree mm-hmm. on what happened. Two, it's this big scientific committee and scientific report has come back, and basically the scientific community has no idea what happened. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this, we live in an age in which we, we feel like we should know everything, we should have access to all the information, we should know how the world works. What happens when, there's some, when something happens that, that you just you can't explain? Nobody in the world, the hive mind of, of the humanity can't explain it yeah and that's it's a scary thought it's what makes the show so grim and yet very intriguing and it's okay as long as as you said as long as they don't hammer it home with a musical score like to death i'm i'm okay with the tone it is grim and tough to watch at times but i think that it's asking some big questions that uh parallel to our current reality that are pretty powerful so my prediction series finale Mm -hmm. charlie we find out no, 2% of the world's population did not die. 2% of the world's population survived whatever happened. And this 98% of the people, they've been dead the whole time. 
Oh, they're going to do a Sixth Sense or the Others twist? <laughs> yes, and they're in the afterlife, and this is hell or purgatory Ooh, or whatever. That's a, that's a terrifying uh, possibility. I'll give you that, yeah. Um, knowing Damon Lindelof and how he chose to end Lost and how he loves how he went into Prometheus and everything about God and the mm-hmm. afterlife and creation, you never know. Yeah. It could go there. Yeah, no, it, even if it doesn't go there, it seems like this is hell on Earth already. So my prediction is, at least for the next episode... And Dowd was hired to get Liv Tyler because Steven Tyler is actually the head of the cult. (laughs) (laughs) That would be crazy. And he is their leader. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's a terrifying possibility. Uh, As long as it's not aliens. They did that in The Forgotten, and it just became the most ridiculous thing in the world where The Forgotten was a film, I think I mentioned it on the previous episode, but where Julian Moore lost a son on a plane crash that uh, and then everyone tells her that her son never existed that it was all figment of her imagination and then and other it, people it turns out to be aliens it turns out to be aliens <laughs> and, then, and then after she refuses to forget not only her son but all the other people the aliens have abducted that no one else remembers after she refuses to accept it the aliens are like oh crap our experiment failed well i guess we better put everything back to where it was and that's just the most anticlimactic ending ever and none of it makes any sense so yeah i hope it's not that uh, I hope that we don't get, you know, someone who comes in to be like, I'm God or I'm Satan or whatever and uh, explains everything in a devil's advocate type of monologue on the importance of why these people had to die and well, everything. Well, well, thankfully, it, this doesn't seem like the, sh- the show is going to go that that route. I mean, yes, I have seen Lost and yes, Lost did do some stuff like that. But again, mm-hmm. from the very beginning, from the pilot, Lost set itself up as we're going to have some crazy plot stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like The Leftovers set, is setting itself up as, no, our plot stuff isn't going to get crazy in a supernatural sense. It's going to be more about broken people coping with this and the things that they do. And and uh, we I forgot to mention, we brought up The Walking Dead earlier. Mm-hmm. In that respect, I feel like The Leftovers could be a better version of The Walking Dead. Yeah. Because The Walking Dead, I watched The Walking, the Walking Dead, it's fine. It's a fine show. It's not awful, but it's also not great television. Yeah. And it's a show that is really just all about Yes, society has fallen apart, and now people are going nuts and returning to their primal instincts. And, oh, the guy next to you might be just as bad as that zombie who's trying to to bite your head off. And it's bleak and it's depressing, which is fine. The main problem with The Walking Dead is it does the same thing pretty much week after week. And it's not really developing its characters no, very much. No, they're not characters. They're stock figures, and they're basically... I feel like The Walking Dead's more interested in setting up set pieces where zombies get their heads blown off, and it generates suspense, which is very entertaining, but there's only so many times that you can do that without getting bored, which is why I stopped watching after season two. And yeah, I feel like the themes that... I agree with you. that it, It's very similar, but I feel like The Leftovers, you're right, will be a better, more character-driven version of that scenario. Also, it's... It's well, it has to be. Honestly, yeah, it, yeah. it has to be because, oh, let's let's be honest, Charlie. If you're going to be a bleak show mm-hmm. about how society is falling apart and about how how society is is coping with grief, you can't hammer home those notes week after week after week after week 
for more than one season yeah. without interesting characters or zombies. You gotta have one or the other. Yeah. You gotta have interesting characters or zombies. Yeah, it's also interesting. I'm kind of amazed that this show, it, it's kind of an amazement to me that this show got made in the first place because it's kind of a hard sell. I mean, it is very bleak and what would you label the show as? I mean, I'd say it's science fiction, but it's not really. Well, I, I would call it drama. It's drama. drama? Yeah, yeah, honestly, because, yeah. because the, the, the sci-fi aspect of the whole disappearance, that's one scene, two minutes in the very beginning. Oh, yeah. that's just the long point yeah that's that's true um but it is interesting because like, it is okay, a hard like like imagine if it wasn't a mysterious science fiction thing imagine the show was okay two percent of the world's population got the flu and died um well i mean they kind of do something like that with stephen king's the stand which i think i've mentioned more than once on this podcast already i feel like that's an easier sell to people i like the fact that it's so ambiguous and that it doesn't seem set out to answer this question. I'm just saying I find it to be a really ambitious move on HBO's part to pick the show up when I feel like ambiguity doesn't sit well with some viewers and it's a hard sell because how do you pitch the show to someone uh, apart from it being like, you know, you tell people that it's not very plot driven, that'll turn a lot of people off. You tell people, well, it's not really sci-fi, it's drama but it has a sci-fi kind of premise. It doesn't, what I like about it is that it doesn't seem to be fitting into any niche genre, which is what makes it intriguing to me. And I think that we could use more of that on TV right now because even the good shows like uh, Orange is the New Black is a dramedy and uh, True Detective is a crime procedural and um, The Walking Dead's horror. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's hard to nail down exactly what the show is, which makes it fascinating at the very least for me maybe it could really push some new boundaries in terms of what a tv show can be and how it doesn't have to be all black and white much like the themes of the show itself but we'll have to see we'll have to wait and see any final thoughts on the pilot episode of the leftovers it made me uh, want to call my mom <laughs> and be thankful that I still have my mo- my parents in general and just be like thankful that I still have everyone in my life and it, even those that I have lost. It made me um, remember them fondly and re- I, maybe that's just getting too sappy and uh, sentimental, but you know, like it made me grateful for the people I have in my life right now and the fact that anything can happen at any moment and every day with them is a gift. And I know that is me getting so incredibly cornball here, but it made me grateful for the people I have in my life. That's sweet, Charlie. It made me want to play Spin the Bottle. <laughs> With that app? I don't know, Andrew. That's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty intense. I like to play, you know, play Spin the Bottle with bottles. What happened to, what happened to good old-fashioned bottle? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we would love to hear what you thought of the pilot episode of The Leftovers. Please write it in and let us know what you think. You can email us at leftovers at filmgeekradio.com, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. We would love to hear from you. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and leave us a review that re- that's really going to help us get the word out about the program. If you like Film Geek Radio and you like the Tupperware Party or, you, or you've liked any of the other shows that Charlie and I have done, please uh, review us. That really, really does help us out. We, uh, we, we will be eternally grateful and you will get a super special shout out on the show next week if you do so. Also, if you really, really like the show and you'd like to financially support us, you can go to filmgeekradio.com, click the support tab, and click the donate button. All that money goes to helping us pay for hosting and bandwidth and all of the other costs that come with keeping the network up and running. We also have an affiliates page. Uh, We have several partners, including Amazon, uh, that you can visit. And if you navigate to Amazon through our website, we will get a small percentage of whatever you purchase. So you can go ahead 
uh, buy the leftovers on Amazon Instant Video if it's up there. Go ahead, pre-order the Blu-ray of Season 1 when it becomes uh, available, and that'll help us out. We'll get a few pennies from that, and we really appreciate all your support. Charlie, where can people find more of your work online? You can find the work that I've written for Edge Media on edgeonthenet.com, as well as the work that I published for Movie Mezzanine on moviemezzanine.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at ctnash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H 91. You can find me co-hosting a few other podcasts over at filmgeekradio.com. You can also find some of my film criticism at moviemezzanine.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. Oh, and I have a Letterboxd account also at oh, WriterAndrew. I didn't know we were pitching that. I have one, too. It's same as my Twitter, ctnash91. <laughs> yeah, so follow us on Twitter and Letterboxd and talk to us about movies, TV, The Leftovers. We would love to hear from you. I think that'll wrap it up for this episode. If you're still listening, thanks for being some of The Leftovers. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!